I really count it a privilege to share with you this morning. And what I would like to do, I would like to take us in the school of God. And I found in 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah was in the school of God. And there are four different courses that Elijah took. And I'd like to go through them with you today and see maybe where you are and what you need or I need to learn. So to begin, let's just bow for a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you today for the privilege we have of calling upon you. We thank you, Lord, for the gifts that you've given so many people here in our church. And these dear people that gave us the music this morning, the gifts you have given to them. And, Father, we rejoice in our hearts for all of these great things. But now we thank you, too, for your word and to think that we have it in our language. Help us to understand it. Help us to grasp the truth. Help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. So these next few moments together, teach us from your word, for that word is truth. For that's, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. As we come to 1 Kings chapter 17, we find that King Ahab has come to the throne. And uh, I can just see him sitting on the throne seat there in the throne room. And then outside the Capitol building, there comes a lone man. He's walking probably slow. He's dressed with a cloak of a different color. He has a staff in his hand and he climbs the steps to that door that goes into the Capitol building. And as that door swings open, he walks into that corridor. He starts down that long hallway. He bypasses the stenographers. He bypasses those men in high position. And he comes down to the end of the hall, and there is the door marked private. And he reaches out, and he takes a hold of that golden doorknob, and, and he turns it. And the door slowly swings open, and Elijah steps in. And all of a sudden, Elijah is face-to-face with the king. Now, face-to-face with the king, he gives the message. He stands there, and he points his bony finger at king, and he said, King, because of your sin and the idolatry of our people, it's not going to rain for three and a half years. The message delivered, Elijah turns and he walks out. And as he walks out of that capital building, I like to think that he walks into the school of God. Now, the courses that Elijah has to take are not elective. They're courses that he has to take. And the first course that he goes into is found for us in verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. It's the course of God's provision. Notice how it reads in verse 3. Get thee hence, turn thee eastward, and hide yourself. By the way, aren't the hidings of God blessed? You know, Moses. Moses is a man or a little baby that was taken from his parents when he was just born. He was raised now in the palace of the king. And for all through his life, he was schooled in the best schools. He sat at the king's table. He had everything that he wanted at his fingertips. He grew up to be a great warrior. He was a handsome young man. He had his following. He had a great charisma about him. And then all of a sudden, after 40 years, living in all the luxuries of Egypt, he was thrust out of Egypt. 
And he found himself alone on the backside of the desert taking care of smelly sheep. For 40 years, he was a shepherd out there alone. And finally, after 40 years, he learned that he was a nobody. He learned in Egypt he was someone, but now a nobody. And one day he saw a bush that was burning. That's not unusual. But when he kept watching that bush, it wasn't consumed. And so in wanting to know what's going on, he began to walk slowly over to that bush. And when he got close, there was a voice out of the bush said, Moses, take off your sandals. You're walking on holy ground. And Moses stooped down and he loosened the sandals. And now he stood before God. And God said, Moses, I want you to go down to Egypt. And I want you to take my people out of slavery. And I want to take them to a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And Moses said, but Lord, not me. I'm a nobody. And God said, Moses, you go and I will go with you. Moses obeyed the command of God. He went down to Egypt and he led nearly two million people out of Egypt. And they started across going to the land of Canaan. They came to the base of Mount Sinai. When they came to the base of the mountain, they set up camp. And then Moses went up alone to see God. And up there in the mount alone, God took Moses and he hid him in the cleft. And at that time, Moses saw the glory of God, a hidden man. I think of David. David, he too was a shepherd boy. He grew up being really uh, irritated by the rest of the family. It was tough. And so all through his life, he was out there alone with the sheep. But what does David write? David begins to pen the words. He says, Thou art my hiding place, O God. You see, in the economy of God, we must realize that each one of us who believe in Christ should be hidden men. The Bible says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God, and your life shall be hid in God. Hidden men, tucked away by God. And isn't it wonderful to have God as our guide to hide us in the cleft of the rock? You know, as you go on, this is what Elijah, or God was trying to tell Elijah. And so the next verse tells us, he says, And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook that I have commanded thee, and I shall command the ravens to feed you there. So Elijah did according to the word of the Lord. You know, when you come to the place where you are what God wants you to be, He will provide for you the provision of God. And can you imagine Elijah making camp there by the brook? He's all alone, but he's with God, hidden by God. Every morning he gets up and he walks over to the brook, and there that water is trickling down on its way to the sea, and he takes a drink of cool water. And then every morning, 
the black bombers come in with the food. And those ravens come down and deliver the food for Elijah. I've often thought, wouldn't that be great to be fed by God? I'm sure that every meal you'd have angel food cake. What a tremendous experience that would be. But then what happens? You know, we have to learn that God will provide. David said, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Paul the Apostle said in the New Testament, My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches which are in Christ Jesus. If you and I, as we walk with God, are in the place that God wants us to be, he will provide. Oh, back in the days when America was being settled, and uh, there were some of the gold pioneers. They went way up north in the north country where it was nothing but woods and snow and cold. And, but some of these settlers, they begin to go up and, to, and they made a little settlements. Not many, but they kind of gathered together and had a little place where they shared. And among one of those little settlements, those dear people not only made their homes, but they also built a little chapel. There was a young couple. They had two little boys and a little girl, and, and they felt the call of God to go up to that settlement and to be the pastor in that little chapel. So they left home and they went up into the north country. They built themselves a little cabin home, and uh, things went along great. Now, they didn't get a big salary because everyone was struggling to make ends meet. The bad part was that so often that little salary didn't come in regularly. And so they, they really had to skimp and, and watch. And many times their meals was nothing but Indian cake and tea. But they loved the Lord and they ministered. And then one winter, it got terribly cold. And the wind blew and the snow came. And, and, and the dear wife, she tells about how that the wind would come up through the cracks of the floor of their little cabin home. But they loved the Lord and they kept working. And now, during that winter, the Christmas was coming. And those little kids were, were looking for Christmas presents. The boys, oh, they wanted ice skates. And little Ruthie, she, she wasn't too well, and so she was in the house most of the time. She got tired of mother's homemade dolls. And so now she wants a, a store-bought doll. And those kids would pray for skates and for dolls. And, and the parents... Oh, their hearts hurt because they didn't have the money to purchase those things that those boys and girls wanted. And they were suffering. Well, it came to the day before Christmas. Jim was called, Jim the pastor, he was called out to see a sick man. So he had to leave and and uh, the kids were playing in the house because it was cold and windy outside and and they were talking about, oh, for the, when they got those skates and that doll and and the mother was so hurt down deep inside that she persuaded the kids to go to bed early that night. And as they went to bed early, little Ruthie knelt by her bed as she usually did. And once again, she prayed, oh God, will you send skates for my brothers and will you give me a store-bought doll? And uh, when she got through praying, she looked up and she noticed her mother was standing there and she said, mother... I know that they're going to be here in the morning. Well, that mother went back into the little room and she sat down on the rocking chair. And in the darkness of that night, she sat there and she wept. 
How could she give what they wanted? It was impossible. It was about 10 o'clock when Jim came home. And he was cold. He kicked off his boots and his stockings came off with them. And his feet were red with cold. And, and he was shivering. And he sat down discouraged and, and despondent. And, and she looked at her husband and she broke. And she sort of screamed out. And she said, you know, you wouldn't treat a dog like this, let alone a servant of God. And those two people discouraged because of what they had gone through and were in. And for an hour, they sat there without talking. As they were sitting there, it became about 11 o'clock, and there was a knock on the door. And he went to the door. Who would be here in the middle of the night? And as he opened the door, here was the uh, express agent. And he said, you know, this box came on the train this afternoon. I thought it might be for for your Christmas, and so I didn't have time until now to bring it, but, but here's that box, and they brought in that wooden box, and they set it down. And then he said, by the way, my wife sent over this turkey, and here's a bag of potatoes, and here's some other things for your Christmas dinner. And he left. And Jim went right away, went and got a hammer and a chisel. He pried open the box of that, uh, lid of that box, and he looked down, and there was a red blanket. He lifted the red blanket, and there that box was full of clothes. And Jim looked at that, and he and his wife looked at each other, and they knelt by that box, and they cried as they said, Lord, when just when you were testing us, we couldn't hold out. And they asked for forgiveness, and they prayed together. And now in excitement, they began to take out what was in that box. And there was a suit of clothes for Jim, and there were some dresses for her, and, and uh, there was other things of material. In fact, there was some Arctic overshoes for each one of them, and in the shoe was a little note which says, As thy days, so shall thy strength be. And then there were some gloves, and in the fingers of the gloves there were the words, I, the Lord thy God, shall be with thee. I will hold your right hand. Fear not, I will help thee. It was a wonderful box, and there were clothes for the boys, a little uh, red gown for Ruth, and there were mittens and scarves, and, and down in the center was another box. And they lifted the lid, and there was a store-bought doll. And they lifted that little doll up, and underneath were two pair of ice skates. That dear couple stood there, and they wept as they realized that God provided. But there was more. There were books to read, and buttons, and thread, and knots of ribbon, and needles, and then there was an envelope, a $10 bill. They were just faint with happiness. It was past midnight. But she went over and she cut a, another slice of, out of their bread and she made a cup of tea and they sat down and had their supper. But you should have seen the kids the next morning. When those boys saw those skates, they began to shout and scream for joy and they hurried outside and down to the pond. And they began to skate and little Ruthie, she picked up her store-bought doll. She hugged it. She went into the bedroom. She got down on her knees and she said, Lord, thank you for my doll. She went out. Her mother and dad were sitting there at their table and 
She whispered to her mother, Mommy, I knew it would be here, but I wanted to thank God for it anyway. God will provide, friends. And this is a hard course. But what a great lesson to learn, to realize that as we walk with God, in a wonderful way, He provides. And there by the brook, God provided for Elijah. But there's another course. Look what happens in verse 7. And now we find the course of God's providence. Verse 7, And it came to pass, after a while, that the brook dried up, because there had no rain for in the land. It was wonderful sitting there by that brook. Can you imagine every morning you get up and take a cool drink of water and the ravens come in with the food? But one morning, Elijah got up and he went over to the brook and he looked down. It was dry. And flight 707 didn't come in. No food. You know, it's great when we have food and drink. When the food is gone, what happens? Someone said, see, you're out of the will of God. Now, wait a minute. Let's be reasonable. Why did the brook dry up? It hadn't rained for over three years. Why wouldn't it be dry? Where did the ravens come from? God. All of this is happening not because Elijah was out of the will of God. It was God's training for Elijah. And Christian friend, in God's providential dealings, there are those mysterious things which I don't understand. Wars come, and the Christian boy is killed, just like the one who refuses to accept Christ. The storms come, and the wind blows down the churches as well as the taverns. Yet in all of this, there is a difference. For God has promised, I will take care of you. I will never leave you. For we have His presence. Now, we all love the sunshine. We like it when it's smooth sailing. But it's hard when we face the dry brooks. But folks, there will come times in our walk with God that we will find the hard times, the bumps in the road, family problems, financial problems, times when we're misunderstood. Sometimes we are criticized and there's sorrow. Dry brooks. There'll be times in our walk with the Lord while others are sleeping in the middle of the night. We're laying there as the tears drop down onto our pillow. And I've gone through some of those dark times and and I've struggled because I don't like to share the bad. I like to share the good. But would you just bear with me and I'll give you a very personal experience. I've been traveling as an evangelist for the free church. And back about 20 years ago or better, our churches, once a year, they would have evangelistic meetings in the local church. And they'd call a person in, and they would hold those meetings. And so I was representing the free church, and I'd go to this church, 
And I'd start in the morning on Sunday morning and I'd preach on Sunday morning and Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then Friday I would rest, Saturday I would drive, I'd start in another church. And I went from the east coast to the west coast, from the south to the north. All of these churches just preaching, I was in the prime of my ministry, I failed. But something happened, and I began to have a sore. It wasn't a breathing problem, it was a sore problem. And that sore didn't seem to go away, and across my chest, I went to the doctor and I said, Doc, what's going on? I'm sore. And he said, you've strained a muscle. And I thought, how did I strain a muscle? But he said, that's what I'm sure it is. And so I went back on the road. And a couple months later, it never left. And I went back in and I said, Doc, it's not, it's the same. So they took some x-rays. They took some other tests. Nothing shows up. I'm sure it's a strained muscle. So I went back on the road. But after a while, I find out, I've got to find out what's going on. So I went back to the doc again. I said, Doc, something has got to give. And so then they begin to take many, many tests. And they took a biopsy of my muscles across my chest. And, and uh, I went back. And I was in a meeting down in, in Des Moines, Iowa. And uh, from that meeting, I came back home and uh, I had a board meeting at the headquarters here in Minneapolis. And as I was sitting in that board meeting, I just, there was a kind of a lapse of time. And I, I sure wanted to know if they found out anything, what's going on. So I went out into the hall and I picked up the phone and I called the doctor. and I said, Doc, what did you find? There was a moment of silence. And then over that phone, he said, Paul. You have cancer. I want you to see an oncologist. I stood in that hallway all alone. Now what do I do? Cancer. I went to see the oncologist and then I learned more. You have cancer, Paul, but it's incurable. Oh, yes, there are some that have lived up to five years, but we have one that's lived for eight years. But we'll do what we can. And I said, well, can I keep preaching? Can I keep going? Much as you want to. But if you want us to work on it, we have to give you chemo. And so I came in every three or four weeks. And they gave me intravenous chemo for an hour or whatever. And uh, then some pills to take to make it work. And I'm back on the road. There were some days I felt like I couldn't put one foot ahead of the other. But in God's providence, I didn't lose my hair. It got thin, but nobody noticed. And I kept preaching and going back in. For two years, I kept feeding this chemistry. And my body began to... And I had to be careful because my white cells were gone. And and uh, I was so weak and so tired. And I could tell you some experiences, but be that as it may. There in that doctor's office, when she said... You have cancer, and it's really incurable. You know, folks, I had my dreams. I had my hopes. But those hopes and dreams that I harbored deep in my heart, those days turned to ashes. My castles all crumbled. But I took 
I took them all and I wrapped them all in the rags of my life and I laid them at the foot of the cross. If I could sing like Kevin over here, I would like to sing right now, but don't worry, I'm not going to try it. But you know, the, the Gaithers, I believe, wrote, wrote this song, but there was that chorus that's running in my mind right now. It says, all of my confusion he understood. For all I had to offer him now was brokenness and strife. But in the providence of God and the prayers of people, our dear Lord reached out of the heaven and put his hand upon me and healed me. Folks, when we go through those hard places, the valleys are deep and it seems so dark. But I learned that nothing happens by chance to a Christian. And the other day, I ran across the statement, and I don't know who said it, but this is the statement I read. You will never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And I come to you this morning, and could I ask you, are you in a deep valley? Is it dark? The providence of God sometimes takes us to that valley, and yet we come out victorious. But there's another course that Elijah has to go into, and that's the course of God's program. Notice what it says in verse 8. And the Lord... the and the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Serapath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Can you imagine the situation? There where God wanted him, and he was feeding him, and then everything dried up. And now God says, Elijah, I want you to get up, and I want you to go to Zarephath. And when you get there, there's going to be a woman that will take care of you. And I imagine Elijah jumped to his feet and he thought, Quit. I'm tired sleeping here on the ground. Oh, I'm going to a home. And I can imagine he's walking towards Zarephath and he has a dream of that palatial home with the white pillars in front. And he thought, oh, when I get there, there'll be a shower. And I can clean up, and I'll have a Simmons bed to sleep on. But when he got there, there was no Westinghouse kitchen. There was no running water. There was no Simmons bed. And I can imagine Elijah put his hands to his head and he said, Oh God, not this! But then he looked and he saw a little lady. She was bent and she was gathering sticks. And he saw that dear little woman, and he said, Ma'am, I'm so thirsty. Will you give me a drink? And she turned to get him a glass of water, and as she turned, he said, And I'm so hungry. Will you make me a sandwich? And she turned, and she said simply like this. She said, I don't have a slice of bread left in the house. 
all I have is a little bit of meal and a little oil. And I've been gathering sticks that I can make me a meal and then I'll die. And then Elijah gave forth God's program. And what was it? God said, Elijah, you tell her, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal will never fail, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until, until it rains. That's God's program. Elijah is not speaking for himself, but for God. And the secret of God's blessings is what? God first. Jesus talking to the disciples there in Matthew chapter 6 and chapter 7. And he was talking about food and clothing and all of these things. But what does he say? He said, gentlemen, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. Oh, God's program. I'm thinking of Joseph. You know, though Joseph grew up in a home that was really a dysfunctional. Joseph was despised. But there was his brothers. And they didn't like their brother Joseph. Joseph was always out there in the field alone taking care of dad's sheep and The boys were over there living on the high track. And then one day they saw Joseph coming. And as Joseph came across, they thought, let's get rid of him. Let's take his jacket and kill a lamb and soak it with blood and then take it to dad and say, some wild animal got a hold of him. Let's just kill him and get rid of him. But the oldest brother said, no, no, boys, let's not have blood on our hands. Let's just throw him into the pit. He can't get out of that. And he'll starve to death. But his blood won't be on us. So they took Joseph and they threw him into the pit. But you know what Joseph learned? He wasn't in a pit. He was in a program. And God took Joseph out of the pit. Sold him as a slave into Egypt. But he trained Joseph to be the second highest in command in the land of Egypt. Joseph put God first. And God honored his choice. You see, I know if you folks know me pretty well, you want me to meddle, don't you? So can I meddle a little bit into your life? And let me just be very pointed. Just think about it. Mothers and dads. Could I ask you, in your home, is God first? I have traveled across the country and I've been in hundreds of homes. But I have discovered that many Christian homes, son or daughter has not heard dad pray. There's never been a time in that home where they could sit down together and pray and to read the word of God. Teenager, is Christ first in your life? Or is it a friend? Or is it sports? Or is it cars? You see, my dear people, stop and think for a moment. You and I, as we put our trust in Christ, we were adopted into the family of God, and now I'm a child of a king. 
And being a child of a king carries responsibility. And I have to be responsible to how I live. And if I bring it right down on the bottom shelf, I think it will stand someday. For the Bible says every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. And as we stand before God, I wonder if there's not going to be some tears. You say, but God wiped away all the tears from my... Well, if he's going to wipe away the tears, what tears is he going to wipe away? And I'm going to have to give an account as a father how I raise my children. Did I become the leader or did they tell me what to do? Mom, what kind of a tone did you set in your home? Young people, how have you reacted to your parents? Now, I know, folks, this is unpopular, and you'll go home this week and you'll discuss me. But listen, could I just challenge you one thing? Will you go home, and will you get on your knees, and you would you say, God, I don't care what you say in your word. I want to please myself. I want my freedom. And I don't care what the Bible says. Tell the Lord. Remember, the Bible says, Come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing. You know what is the unclean thing in your life. The Bible says you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. How do we live? That's a hard course. But that's the program of God. God first. And my time is gone. I've got to close. Can I just mention the last course? Unless you want to stay. You don't have dinner to one anyhow, do you? <laughs> Let me just mention one more. I'm sorry. Time is over. But there was one more thing. He re- realized the power of God. The son in that little home in Zarephath died. Mother wept. And Elijah went up to his room And he laid himself upon that boy. And he said, oh God, bring life back into this man. And God heard that prayer. And that little boy came to life and he gave him back to his mother. Elijah learned that day the power of God. And my dear people, what you and I need today is to understand the power of God. You and I are going to go out into a world that does not know Christ. We're going back to our homes, and some of those people in our homes do not know Jesus Christ. We're going to go to our jobs tomorrow, and we're going to work beside people who take the name of our dear Lord in vain. We're going to the school campus and go to classes where some of the young people trample the name of Christ under their feet. You and I need to know the power of God. That's the course we are to learn. And remember, God said it's not by might, nor by power, by programs, by personalities, by charisma, not by all of those things, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. Father, thank you for these dear people. Thank you for giving me the privilege of sharing this morning. 
But, oh God, help us to understand it's not us but Christ that liveth in us. Help us to understand when we're walking where you want us to walk, you will provide. And when the dark valleys come, Lord, we realize that you're with us. That's your promise. Help us to be sensitive to your presence and grant unto us the power that we need to live victorious. And while our heads are bowed in just for a moment, but I don't want to close, if God has been speaking to you, could I ask you, what is your valley today? That dark spot. Is it a family relation? Is it a job? I don't know what it is. You know what it is. Would you, in your own way, would you just tell the Lord what it is? The Lord has given us a promise. If you will call unto me, I will hear you. And I will answer and show you great and wonderful things. And would you just tell the Lord what it is? Just for a moment. And Father, each one of us have different needs. There are those bends in the road that almost puts us off course. But Lord, help us to learn that God will provide. And with your presence, we have the power that we need to live victorious. So thank you for your provision. And go with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.